This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Talk money to me. Hello and welcome to Talk Money To Me, your financial podcast where we explore the markets, investable ideas and chat to industry experts to help you navigate your money in the markets. I'm Felicity Thomas. And I'm Candice Burke. Thanks so much for tuning in everyone. Now today we have another special guest joining us on Talk Money To Me. Recently we spoke about the Australian equities and we heard the wrap of the reporting season with June Beilu from Tribeca. So today we wanted to get the latest scoop on what's going on in the global markets with one of Australia's leading fund managers in the international market asset allocation and sector. So we're excited to be speaking today with Anthony Doyle from Firetrail. Hello, we're on the sidelines of the Morningstar Advisor Conference. I'm here with Anthony Doyle, Head of Investment Strategy at Firetrail. While his title may change, his keen mind and investing insights hopefully haven't. Uh, we're joined by Anthony Doyle. Hi, I'm Chris Judd and this is Talkie Book. And today we're joined by Anthony Doyle from Firetrail Investments. We're very excited and you would have seen him all over the media. He's a seasoned veteran. Now, Anthony is actually the head of investment strategy for the Firetrail S3 Global Opportunities Fund. Now, his primary responsibilities include fundamental idea generation, portfolio analysis and economic insights, including currency and macroeconomic risk management. And as you'll hear in our chat with Anthony, he has a lot, a lot of experience in this industry, including 10 years working as investment manager in the UK, but he saw the light of day and he came back down under and now works at Firetrail. That's it. He's been in the industry for over two decades. Now, a little bit more about the fund before we hear from our guest. So the Firetrail S3 Global Opportunities Fund is a concentrated portfolio of Firetrail's best global equity ideas. The investment process employs fundamental analysis to identify the most attractive investment opportunities with sustainable characteristics. And they call this the sustainable edge, which really refers to Firetrail's investment philosophy that sustainable companies deserve premium valuations over time. So what they mean by this is that companies that the market perceives to have sustainable characteristics, you know, for example, good environmental practices, um, a really great social license to continue operations over the long term, strong corporate governance, equality like females on the board, for example, these companies deserve premium valuations relative to the companies that do not. And to be honest, we agree with that. And that is reflected in the performance. So recently in the past quarter, the fund has generated an alpha of 2.08% over benchmark or a return of 10.30%, which is impressive in this volatile market. And in terms of the one year figure, it has been 9.99%. So Anthony, I'll do you a one up here. I'll round it up to 10%. But more importantly, we always look at the inception figure, which has been 7.91% per annum. So well done. They are very impressive returns. Now, before we get into our conversation with Anthony, as always, remember guys, our chat today is not considered personal advice. 
Even though we are registered financial advisors at Shoreham Partners, please know that this podcast and the content discussed does not constitute as financial advice, nor is it a financial product. Everything discussed is based on the facts known at the time of recording, which is the 5th of September, 2023. Okay, let's bring you our chat with Anthony. Welcome, Anthony, to Talk Money to Me. Cheers. Thanks so much for having me on. We're so excited to be speaking with you today about global equities and some of your top ideas at the moment. So really to kick things off, it's been a very interesting few years in financial markets. So we'd love to get your take on the global economy right now. How are you really assessing the state of the global economy? And I guess what major risks or opportunities do you see on the horizon? Yeah, hasn't it been amazing, Felicity? Um, you know, the uh, the COVID pandemic seems like a long time ago, but it really, it really wasn't. You know, it's only a couple of years ago. There was really some significant shifts in how policymakers reacted to that crisis, and, and rightly so. Um, you know, for for a decade or more, you know, the name of the game really in in the global macro world was disinflation concerns around deflation, zero interest rates, quantitative easing, money printing. In that type of environment, it was, it was really easy to make money. You know, it was all about having, uh, having investments in risk assets like equities. Everything was going up. And the number of presentations I saw with Tina Turner photos in them, um, because, you know, Tina being an acronym for there is no alternative investors from mums and dads to superannuation funds moving out of cash out the, the risk spectrum in order to generate returns. Then the pandemic struck and economies around the world were placed on ice. And rightly so, governments responded by delivering fiscal payments and cash handouts to, to businesses, to workers, in order to keep economies uh, alive, essentially, for when the time came that we would reopen. And really, there was so much uncertainty between central banks and governments and individuals and businesses that no one really knew what was going to, to happen. You know, was it going to be deflationary again or what, were we going to experience, you know, inflation? And now we know. Now we know that consumers having built up cash balances significantly in an environment where interest rates were close to zero um, and they weren't going out spending, um, when economies reopened, we respent. Uh, with a vengeance. Um, so firstly, that was with goods um, and buying stuff. And whether it was, you know, you talk to your friends and family, every second person was undertaking a renovation um, because we were at home. We thought, oh, maybe we should uh, do something with our Confession homes. time, Anthony. Did you do a renovation? Uh, yes, I did a renovation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got three young kids. so Guilty. Um, <laughs> I'm guilty as well. And, uh, you know, the, the builders saying, you know, things are so expensive. And then um, building costs and things like that. And then when economies reopen, you know, we, we still continue to spend on experiences now, what we describe as economists as services. So, you know, whether that's going out and having a nice meal. Um, I think a lot of us know about travel in particular, whether that's domestic or abroad. Um, and we also, of course, know very much about the supply chain constraints that um, businesses and consumers face, you know, trying to get things after um, economies closed and, and those supply chains um, re-establishing themselves. So really an extraordinary, extraordinary time, Felicity uh, and Candice. And um, I think we would do well to acknowledge that we have lived through a pivotal moment in history 
And we are now only starting to begin to understand what the ramifications are for investing, for economies, and for the the outlook as a whole. And certainly, I think whether you talk to professional investors, and, and I talk to, as you know, mum and dad investors, financial advisors, stockbrokers, I talk to the biggest super funds in the land. I think there's an acknowledgement there that the next decade will look um, pretty different to the decade that um, we experienced before the COVID crisis. Okay, that's really interesting. And so you believe it's going to look a little bit different. I mean, is it going to look different in a positive way or is it going to be negative or what are your thoughts there? When I say it's going to look negative, uh, I don't think that we are going to see a re-establishment of of zero interest rates or the Tina Turner photos coming back into investment presentations. So there are alternatives today for those investors that are seeking to generate uh, an income and a yield. Um, But I think that the main point of differentiation um, today and and, and for the coming decade as long-term investors is that um, it will no longer simply be a case of just buying a market index um, or an ETF in order to generate returns that investors seek for their their hard-earned savings and for their long-term investment goals. Rather, in a world where there is um, a higher interest rate, in a world where there is a cost of capital, some businesses will thrive, some will suffer. And the same is for investments. So today, it's really an environment where you have to be so discerning about those companies that are likely to perform well and generate those returns for you versus those companies that are really going to struggle in a world of, of lower growth and higher interest rates. So it's not that it's going to be um, worse, but it's going to be different. And those returns are available for investors, as we've seen this year. And the global equity markets are up over 20%, for example. But Austra- Australian investors have to think a lot more creatively about where they're going to generate those returns for themselves, um, for their long-term savings goals. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you're you're saying here really is you want to be in active management and it's more of a stock picking market rather than a passive investment market, which we absolutely agree. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, last year was really characterised by an environment where investors were just running for the hills, petrified and so scared of how high interest rates were going to go and how deep a potential economic downturn was going to be. And in that type of environment, what you find is that a bank, a bank shares will be highly correlated and move closely with a healthcare company's shares or a tech company's shares or a consumer discretionary company shares. So the market as a whole, it moves as one, particularly in periods of stress. And this year, what you've found is those intra-market correlations, um, they start to um, fall, which is really great news for active stock picking. Um, It is an environment where you can generate returns from doing fundamental bottom-up stock research. So rather than everyone being concerned about inflation, 10 out of the 12 most trading days in 2022 were actually inflation days. And, you know, that's just short-term noise. That's just... um, something that uh, is going to confuse investors. So inflation's higher, so central banks are going to raise interest rates, so the stock market falls. You know, that's really short-term stuff. But if you're thinking on medium and long-term returns, that's an environment where you can do your bottom-up research. And that's the type of environment that we at Firetrail think is going to persist for the coming, you know, medium term, coming five to seven years, for example. Yeah, so just on that, because we agree short-term noise does get very loud and we've got to think long-term when we're thinking of quality companies to own for, you know, seven plus years. 
So if we look to the future and I think big picture here, talk us through, I guess, the key macro data or key fundamentals in terms of the companies when you go through that process of what you're looking for. Like what what is, I guess, a green flag for you to go, okay, we're really got a high conviction uh, on the company itself and then all the trends as well for the next you know decade? Yeah, so I mean, for us uh, at Firetrail, one of the the persistent structural investment themes that we believe is going to be with us for the rest of our investment careers is obviously what we describe as positive change. Um, and so, what we have developed here is uh, a structure of investing which looks for certain characteristics within companies aligned with what we describe as our positive change investment themes. Um, So these are themes that are going to persist with us for decades to come. And those proprietary positive change themes are health and well-being, innovation and equality, sustainable world and um, climate impact. So we're looking for companies that sit within one of those four positive change themes. And every company sits on the positive change curve. And we categorize companies as to whether they are a laggard there, a future leader or a positive leader. And the reason we do that is we absolutely believe that companies that perform well according to our S3 characteristics, um, they will achieve premiums in the marketplace. And it is a way to generate performance for our clients and for our investors. Um, We are seeking to identify what companies will be in the future rather than what they've been in the past. So these positive change thematics, they're likely to endure, as I've said, for decades. Um, But how do we monetize that opportunity for our investors in the short term, for those investors that are looking for that three to five year time horizon? So, you know, we know that decarbonization is an important investment thematic, for example. So how do we harness the opportunity there with the significant push from governments to reduce carbon emissions around the world. Um, I don't know, Felicity, Candice, were you in Europe um, over the summer? I was. The European <laughs> summer. It was hot, right? It was very hot. We've got El Nino. We've got a, a, an over 80% chance of experiencing El Nino this year, over 50% chance of experiencing a severe El Nino. There's implications there for food, um, food prices. Um, obviously, you know, in terms of uh, the UK, for example, only 5% of homes have an air conditioning unit installed. So how can we monetize this opportunity that exists over, over the medium to long term? And that's what we've sought to do within our fund, uh, the Firetrail S3 Global Opportunities Fund. Yeah, we um, actually talk about decarbonization a lot on Talk Money to Me and how important it is and what it is a, like a very good trend to be invested. And we're actually going to touch a little bit more on your S3 characteristics soon. But I guess when we talk about your portfolio, right? It's a high conviction portfolio of 30 names. How do you approach diversification across asset classes and regions in your portfolio management, you know, especially in the face of changing market conditions? All right. Yeah. So um, one way to ensure that we had that sufficient diversification within the portfolio was to develop those proprietary um, positive change thematics, which we, we actually recalibrated those from the UN Sustainable Development Goals, because we found that the UN Sustainable Development Goals were really difficult to to invest in um, as investors. So how can we think about recalibrating those goals um, into forward-looking, investable, positive change themes? So that ensures that we're not just investing in a decarbonisation thematic 
um, that we have sufficient diversification across the portfolio. And we're always overweight those positive change themes relative to our benchmark, which is the MSCI World Index. But, you know, academic studies have shown that you can you can diversify sufficiently with as few as 12 companies within a portfolio. Um, and the reason you can do that is you invest across geographies, you invest across sectors, you in, uh, invest in different business models, different currencies, different levels of liquidity, different market capitalization. So there is a, a mathematical science behind the um, effective diversification of portfolios. Now at Firetrail, we've been managing highly concentrated, high conviction portfolios for over 17 years, both in the Australian and global equity markets. And what we've found is the real sweet spot is that 30 to 40 stock portfolio where you can build sufficient diversification and you want to invest across different styles. So we aren't a value manager. We aren't a growth manager. We're looking for companies that have deviated from their intrinsic value and for whatever reason, on a valuation basis, they are trading cheaply. That could be a growth company like Alphabet that we own today, or a, a value company like a renewable diesel producer that we own over in the United States um, that I've spoken to Alec and Bryce about um, on their podcast, you know, Darling Ingredients. And that was a company that we presented at the Sewn Hearts and Minds conference last year as well. So you want to look at real diversification across those factors, across our positive change themes, across countries and regions uh, and across sectors as well. Um, so we're building our portfolio from the ground up, not getting caught up in the day-to-day -day noise of macro movements. And we seek to control for that risk as best we can. And we want to really ensure that the bottom-up stock selection and the bottom-up work that our analyst team conducts. So there's uh, eight analysts in my team, um, including the portfolio managers and myself. They conduct over 200 hours of research on every single company before it's even proposed at the investment committee for a potential inclusion within the portfolio. So we're doing deep dive forensic research on these companies to ensure that we're comfortable with the outlook for the 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 company um, over the course of five years. Just on that, Anthony, do you all have to unanimously agree? Like, we'd love to know the decisions around the board table there when you've identified a company. How does that work? Yeah, so there's uh, an active research agenda which is set by the the portfolio management team. So essentially, we get together on a weekly basis and think about ideas, which can come from anywhere. So our investment universe is 20,000 companies, developed markets and emerging markets. So any company that's listed on exchange in the world. Um, and those ideas can come from the screens that we implement, you know, proprietary quantitative screens, um, whether we're looking for particular thematics like circularity and waste or um, clean water, for example, um, or even, you know, we can screen depending upon characteristics of um, earnings yields, dividends, you know, it's 350 financial metrics that we can look at. Also via research. So we might see ideas, we're investigating a company or looking into a company and we see one of their competitors that's potentially more a more compelling opportunity. So the PM teams would, you know, they set the agenda for the analysts. And if you propose an idea, then you're typically the lead analyst um, on the research and you're always accompanied by a buddy um, on that journey, that 200 hour journey 
where we will do all the financial modeling. We'll talk to the company. We'll talk to their competitors. We talk to expert networks. Um, we'll go and kick the tires. We talk to supply chains. Um, we'll even go out and do research. There's an unlimited research budget here at Firetrail. Being based in Sydney, um, we do a lot of travel overseas as well. So then um, after that process is completed, the findings of the research is produced at the investment committee, which we all attend. And we all vote at the end of that um, presentation. Um, there's a recommendation from the analyst, buy, watch, or, or don't own. And uh, we all vote, uh, a blind vote, to ensure that there's no anchoring to the, the more senior members of the team from zero to four. Um, four, be, four being the highest conviction overweight, zero being a veto don't own. Um, so that's to ensure that you know we get those views across. We're not anchored, but equally it's training analysts um, to think like portfolio managers as well. So we have teams of portfolio managers here at Firetrail on the four funds that we run um, to ensure that there's not that sort of star um, fund manager mentality um, that exists um, often in the investment management industry as well. That's really interesting because we actually did talk about anchoring bias on Talk Money to Me a few episodes ago. That's really interesting that you mentioned that. Yeah, so, um, but essentially, you know, of the votes, only the portfolio management team, the three, the three PMs in my team, it's their votes that count. And um, they're like the Beatles. Um, do, you, do you know the Beatles, before any decision, they all had to agree? Um, well, the same for our voting system. I'm not sure if they'd like to be known as the <laughs> compared to the Beatles. There's only three of them, but uh, essentially they all have to agree on the, the rankings from zero to four, four being highest conviction, overweight, and we then put it into a position sizing algorithm to uh, ensure the appropriate weight within the portfolio that position. So we will um, that algorithm will scale back a position size depending on liquidity, volatility, currency, but also the carbon intensity of the company as well. Okay, so it's a really methodical process that, you know, there's minimal margin for error and emotions, which is great to hear, which is how you really want to run a portfolio, particularly in this volatile time. So more on the four positive change themes and your S3 characteristics. So we understand them to be, firstly, sustainable business models and earnings. They've got to be a solid company there. As you've just explained, they've really got to be, you know, very positive in terms of the positive change, ticking those boxes of climate change, innovation, equality, sustainable environment or health and well-being so they're fantastic goals and I love what Firetrail have done here but I guess the challenge is a lot of ESG investors are facing is how do you navigate greenwashing in this space because it does get a lot of airtime and I guess walk us through the red flags you might see in in the greenwashing space yeah you're absolutely right um, and there is increasing prevalence of uh, attention of this in the media um, and often what you find is that those funds that get into trouble from ASIC and the like are those high breadth passive smart beta style strategies where they're very much rules based um, so it's black and white you know they say they don't invest in something that somehow found its way into the portfolio a tobacco company or something like that for example now we believe that by having a highly concentrated portfolio of around 30 companies, you know, that allows us to firstly conduct that deep dive research. Um, so we don't do broad breadth research on the entire market. You know, we're solely focusing in on a, a manageable number of companies within the fund. 
that we can engage with. Um, we can engage with company management. So rather than have teams of ESG analysts at Firetrail, um, ESG is embedded in everything that we do. So we engage on it, we own it, and we ensure that the analysts are actually the ones that own ESG. They're the experts in the process rather than outsource that to uh, an ESG analyst team that, that may be sat in a, a different location from the investment team. So when it comes to greenwashing, uh, I mean, we think that absolutely that's right that we see this level of focus on it. And it is right that people understand and they should do their due diligence on portfolio managers and fund managers before they allocate capital to, to these firms, particularly if they are considering investing with a sustainable mindset or ESG. Um, but we engage actively with the companies that we invest in to the extent that we are, are often forces for change within those companies. So a good example recently, um, one, of, one of our analysts, Annabelle Riggs, was discussing with um, a, a board the lack of female representation on the board and we saw a, a female board member appointed there following the um, retirement of a, an old board member. Um, we've also engaged with companies on fatalities uh, that they may have experienced, a mining company, for example, that we've owned. Um, we've divested from a company because we were concerned about how much water they were drawing down in the process of copper production, um, a Chilean-based um, copper miner, for example. So, as stewards of capital, it's extremely important that you are highly active um, in that sustainability agenda. And for us, the experts are the analysts in that space, um, rather than a rules-based algorithmic style of trading, broad breadth, 1200 type stocks. You know, it's really difficult to keep a handle on everything that's going on there. I'm glad you answered that because I was actually going to ask what made you decide to remove a company from a portfolio, but you've made it quite clear. So I guess my next question is then, is there a minimum market cap that you look at? Because we know that global small cap and Aussie small caps have underperformed when the larger side of town has really shot the lights out. So what are your thoughts here? Is now the time for smaller cap companies? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, for us, both at Firetrail and for the Global Fund, it is an appropriate time to, to start thinking or rotating rotating back into to small caps. So for the, the global strategy, the, the Global Opportunities Fund, there is no market cap restriction, but there is a restriction on you know, the, the ability to um, trade effectively via how liquid the company may be on exchange. So that's where that position sizing algorithm really comes to the fore. Um, so the smallest market cap within our portfolio um, is $2 billion USD. Um, so that's pretty small. So my fund today is around $225 million in size, um, but we run it like it's a much larger fund. Um, and we estimate capacity on the fund because it's global equities to be around $38 billion. Now, this year, the headlines have all gone to those magnificent seven stocks, um, and they've really been the driver of the overall market. Um, and what that means is now for investors in the S&P 500, by an index, there's a huge level of concentration and factor risk for those investors. To the extent that when you think about the valuation of the market as a whole, and particularly for those seven stocks or the S&P 500, they're trading at extremes. Um, so they're really priced for perfection. And you know whether they continue their run or whether they don't remains to be seen. And indeed, we own a couple of them. So we own Microsoft and we own Alphabet. 
But we think the really the most compelling opportunities in the global equity space today, they really reside outside of those huge mega cap style names. So we uh, are finding exceptional opportunities in the mid to small cap part of our investment universe, um, which you'll be surprised to hear is around 30 billion USD. Um, so that's the median market cap on our portfolio. So to give you context, that's a, a top 10 ASX 200. Yeah, it's still massive, right? Yeah, so there's huge levels of liquidity um, in investing in mid and small caps globally. And that's one of the advantages that investors get when they think and look further afield um, and diversify their portfolio across asset classes and even within asset classes like equities, domestic and global equities. And investors around the world have a home bias. Typically, they own more domestic equities than global equities. But for Aussie investors that want to diversify away from, say, those big banks and big mining companies towards some fantastic companies that exist in the global space that still are are very liquid and large companies and globally established companies, the global equity landscape can be a fantastic hunting ground to assist you in generating those returns that you seek um, to help you meet your your long-term investment goals. Yeah, 100% agree with you. And I think to add to that, you know, Microsoft and Amazon and all these big mega cap names. NVIDIA, can't forget NVIDIA. (laughs) The list goes on, right? They were, you know, long, long time ago, a small to mid cap growing company that weren't profitable. So every company has to start off in that mid to small range. And I think it's really interesting to hear these insights because we've spoken a lot about the methodology and the process and the criteria, but we're going to be turning our attention to more of the investable ideas and the high conviction companies that make up the current portfolio today, which we love. Anthony, as you know, stock ideas on Talk Money to me, so we can't wait to get into the deep dive of the companies. Yes, yeah, so don't go anywhere because like Kanda said, we absolutely love investable ideas on Talk Money to me. But first, let's hear from our sponsors. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
And we're back. So if you jump on the website, you can see the top five holdings and a great analysis online on why you've got these companies in the portfolio. So just for our listeners' benefit, we've got Air Liquid, a French company, which is a sustainable gas company that clearly falls in your sustainable environment bucket. Second, you've got Carrier, which is an air conditioning health company that falls within the bucket of health and well-being and improving health long term. You've mentioned already Anthony Darling Investments, which is a green agricultural food waste business doing a lot of cool stuff in the renewable energy space. So that falls into positive climate change. Fourth, Schneider Electric. I hope I said that okay. Uh, which is a French multinational specializing electrical company. Uh, effectively falls under your climate impact bucket. And then finally, Micron Technology, which is your tick of AI, you know, semiconductor memory chips company there, which obviously falls in innovation and improvement. So they're all really great, fantastic companies. I'd love to hear if you're able to share with us any companies that fall outside the top five, maybe more towards, you know, 25 to 30, perhaps unknown companies and why you're bullish on them. Yeah, sure. So um, I mentioned earlier a, a market cap of $2 billion, um, two billion Aussie. Uh, so it's the smallest market cap in the fund, smallest company in the fund. Would you be excited to hear about a company listed um, in Indonesia where 100% of the customers are women. Yes. Is it a fashion business? <laughs> no. Oh. 95% of staff are female. Okay. Um, has 4.25 million customers. And it is a company that uh, sits in our innovation and equality positive change theme. And uh, it's a bank. Wow. It's a microfinance bank named BTPN. So they lend only to, to women. And uh, as I mentioned, 4.25 million customers. And the average loan size is around USD $160. Um, so quite small. And it is a community lending model. So I mentioned Annabelle earlier. Um, she covers Carrier, um, but she was also in Indonesia in May. And she went to see one of the processes of the community lending model. And when I say community lending model, uh, essentially the, the village supports the loans so if a if a loan recipient can't repay the loan um, then the village will step up and, and pay the loan on behalf of that recipient so peer-to-peer lending not so much peer-to-peer lending but so you've got the bank btpn are making the loans if the recipient can't make the repayment the community on behalf of the recipient will make that loan so it can be as simple as a, a lady that wants to shift from using coal uh, in terms of cooking uh, food and selling that food to gas um, and providing a loan to, to upgrade that fuel. Now, one of the great things is that what BTPN have found is that loan recipients uh, in Indonesia typically have a higher standard of living. Um, they have improved sanitation levels. They have higher education levels and lower carbon emissions as well in terms of the household. Now, for us, again, you know, Thinking about the, the S3 characteristics of uh, a company having sustainable earnings, um, a company having a sustainable business model, and a company delivering sustainable positive change, what we like to do is cut through all the noise and focus on, on what really matters. Um, and so what matters for BTPN is customer growth, 
So the lending model is the strongest versus its peers in this space. And as I mentioned, um, we estimate that customer growth has grown from 4.25 million in 2021 and will be 5 million by 2025. And bad debts are falling rapidly in Indonesia, particularly as the country um, has emerged from COVID. Now, on a valuation basis, let's get down to, to the, the finances and the modeling that we conduct. So it's trading on a PE of seven times um, and EPS growth is growing at 18% um, per annum. Wow. Double digits. Nice. Um, and we expect that to grow um, 20% um, over the course of the next five years compounded. It's very well capitalized and has a high growth lending model. Um, and so that's um, an, an opportunity that we see in an emerging market um, that is having a real impact on that positive change curve. And we, we believe that by identifying these opportunities early, eventually share prices follow earnings and the rest of the investment community will wake up to that opportunity. And that's when you get that revaluation occur and that premium uplift um, in uh, the company's share price. And that's when you can say, we found it first. Well done, team. Yes. That's a really interesting business. Have you got another one for us? We um, are invested in a company named uh, AutoZone. Um, so again, a big shift uh, or a big trend that you know uh, many are highlighting, uh, and particularly when it comes to you know Tesla and the like, is EVs. Very hot investment thematic, but we like to think you know a bit differently, a bit more contrarian than others, and think about okay, you see EVs um, have been a huge beneficiary and, and new technologies in in the clean investment space, but AutoZone is actually a retailer and distributor of auto parts for um, internal combustion engine vehicles. Um, and in particular, with higher interest rates coming on board, you know, people are, are likely to run their, their cars a bit longer than they used to and, and not necessarily convert to an EV or upgrade to a new car um, anytime soon. So um, in terms of EVs, um, certainly they're better for the environment. But when we think about circular economy, uh, it actually is uh, a space where we anticipate that the old legacy fleet of ICE vehicles won't be replaced for some time to come. And as a result, we're seeing that both uh, home maintenance of, of cars is increasing, but also um, that uh, professional mechanics uh, are continuing to see increases in their businesses as a result of people running their cars for longer than they have done in the past. So AutoZone sits in that consumer discretionary bucket, but it's a really defensive play in that space. And again, talks back to that diversity of ideas that we want to have in the portfolio. Earlier this year, many uh, investors would have said, recession's on the way, stay out of consumer discretionary. That's where people are going to cut back the most. Um, but, you know, very much a car is a necessity in our daily lives. Um, and we know that EVs can be an expensive upfront purchase. And so AutoZone, it is a leader in a large and growing market. Um, it's growing its annual sales. So it's about $300 billion in sales. Um, and we expect uh, compound annual growth of 3.8% in those sales, um, organic, um, until 2027. So again, another uh, really interesting opportunity. Trades on 20 times PE. Um, but it is a future-proof business, so to speak, because we won't be shifting to a 100% EV vehicle fleet for some time to come. 
Thank you, Anthony. We love those investable ideas. And I actually find it really interesting that you mentioned BTPN as Indonesia is actually on course to become the seventh largest economy in the world in 2030. So I guess on that, how do you assess emerging markets with potential for growth and what factors are crucial in your decision making process? Yeah, so EM um, is a, we, we are benchmarked MSCI world, which doesn't include EM, um, but that doesn't constrain us. So we have a number of EM exposures within the portfolio. As I mentioned, we're building the portfolio from the ground up and, and we have a laser-like focus on generating performance for clients and alpha, what we describe as alpha for clients. Um, and we'll go anywhere um, where our analysts see the very best ideas. So these include um, a little company you may have heard of called Taiwan Semiconductor. Um, so we own uh, TSMC. We own Bank Itau, um, which is a Brazilian bank, really the leader in Brazil. Um, and Brazil is another fast-growing economy that is actually now um, beginning to, to cut interest rates, but um, has an ROE of 20%, return on equity of, of over 20%, for example. You know, really compelling opportunity relative to the Aussie banks. We also own BTPN, as I mentioned earlier. We own a couple of Mexican airports. So Mexico is benefiting from foreign direct investment and the reshoring of supply chains. Um, And that's benefiting some of our infrastructure plays um, in Mexico via those Mexican airports. Um, And we also have exposure via a Canadian listed copper miner um, to Panama and Zambia. Um, So long life mining assets that is really, really benefiting from that structural thematic of electrification and decarbonisation. And copper is absolutely a necessary requirement in that space. If you want to charge your EV, if you want to start the EV, if you want to store energy, um, we see that um, there is structural demand for copper and it's very difficult to bring that supply on. So First Quantum is Canadian listed, but has those EM assets as well. That's fantastic. So I guess This makes me think of the risks, right, that we're all navigating in the markets because, as you've just said, you don't have any constraints. You can go anywhere. You can go hunting for the good investments. But let's just turn back to a bit more negative talk because I guess everyone is quite nervous in the markets. It's very jittery. We're all feeling like we're dangling on a knife edge. We are hearing a lot about the consumer. It's getting tougher and tougher. We've basically burnt out all of our COVID savings like you talked about at the beginning of the episode with us. So are there any specific sectors or industries that you're just thinking, mm, 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 really avoid? Yeah. Uh, the one we're, so the one we're highlighting at the moment for investors is we're seeing a lot of ESG darlings fall over. So there was a lot of hot capital that flew into the space on prospective technologies such as wind power. Um, and wind power is a sector that we are absolutely avoiding. So whilst we like copper, for example, um, in terms of the energy transition, um, wind power, a renewable source um, of electricity, um, but it has grown very rapidly, um, driven by that those hopes of technological innovation and cost reductions, but those cost reductions just haven't come through. Still too high. So when you think about a wind turbine, um, you know it needs raw materials like steel, copper, rare earths, labour, transportation. Those costs are absolutely rising, and they these companies have been unable to pass those costs on to their customers, and we've seen significant deratings in that space. So again, as I mentioned earlier, you see these thematic funds come out, such as renewable energy or or wind power, um, but there isn't really much science. They're just screens, and there isn't really much thought behind owning these companies. 
and we've seen a raft of downgrades this year, um, such as Siemens, for example. It's an area that we are absolutely watching, um, but um, it's a sector that we are absolutely avoiding as well. Okay, so avoiding wind turbine. Anything else? Well, I guess uh, when it comes to to valuations that look um, expensive at the moment, as I mentioned earlier, um, those sort of mega cap textile names, you know, NVIDIA, Amazon, we did all the work on that last year. And unfortunately, um, we missed it. We were more concerned about um, the exposure to the consumer for Amazon. And on NVIDIA, um, we were looking at how crypto had been um, a major driver of NVIDIA's returns and the, the slowdown or the, the fall in many cryptocurrencies um, we thought was going to, to have an impact potentially on NVIDIA's earnings, and, and that was wrong. Um, and so when we revise that and, and revisit both NVIDIA and, and Amazon, still we think the valuations are, are pretty heroic there, um, so we aren't willing to, to invest there today. Um, absolutely, I think uh, be cautious on the consumer. Um, so in terms of anything that is too consumer-facing, um, you know, AutoZone we think is really resilient defensive play, but um, we've seen, for example, apparel companies building up inventory very quickly um, because they can't sell it quick enough. Companies like Nike, Adidas, these are the companies that um, we're pretty cautious on. Um, additionally, any company that um, is not generating earnings um, or is highly levered um, and has a lot of debt, again, we are avoiding like the plague. This is um, the advantages of taking that high conviction approach. We don't have to ha- own a broad breadth of companies, 70, 80 names like many active managers do. Um, we can build a sufficiently diversified portfolio um, without necessarily generating higher volatility or higher risk, um, but doing it in a way that we are just uh investing in only the, the very best companies that our team can uncover. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So it's kind of like in one, out one, best of breed companies in your portfolio. So on that, you did mention a bit of technology. So what's the, what's your view on the role of technology and innovation really in shaping investments and opportunities? I mean, do you have any comments around AI? You know, is it a bubble? Is it, you know, game changing? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, super interesting, isn't it? And uh, everyone is is trying to get up to speed um, with a, a technology that some have suggested has been around for, for 20 years. And it was only until it, it smacked us all in the face with ChatGPT and the integration um, of ChatGPT into Bing. And, you know, we were, we were using it very actively here at, at Firetrail, in particular to develop poems and, and rap songs and things like that. So from what I can tell... Um, you know, ChatGPT and the like will definitively, you know, carve out the the poetry sector um, because it's been very amusing. Even uh, in presentations, I've been using ChatGPT to come up with with poems um, for the end of the presentation. But certainly, it will have um, seismic shifts on, on productivity. Um, we believe. I don't think we fully understand the the full ramifications of these large language models and the rollout of those models. Um, we're very happy with our AI exposure via Alphabet, Microsoft, Micron Technology, TSMC, um, and that's been a, a significant contributor to the performance that we've been able to generate this year. But we've seen these technologies throughout time, um, or you know, seismic shifts in, in productivity, and whether it's the adoption of the internet, you know, the industrial revolution, um, AI appears to be in that category um, and what we've seen is the 
value-added creation or the, the economic value-added from the increase in, in AI awareness this year um, is really historic in terms of how quickly some of these companies have generated you know, billion and, and trillion dollar valuations. So um, we're really happy with our AI exposure. We're glad that we have it. it speaks to the diversification benefits um, within the fund. Um, but when it comes to some of those those names, again, um, we think there's better opportunities elsewhere. Yeah, you really can't ignore technology. I think what was really interesting, I actually used ChatGPT to plan out a holiday. So it actually chose me all, told me all the, I said, I'm going to Italy. It told me all the areas I need to go to, the hotels to stay at and where to even eat. So I thought it was fantastic. Oh, wow, really? So just one quick follow-up question, Anthony, before we move on to the final part of our conversation with you. When Microsoft, TMC, Micron, Google, when any of the tech AI exposures within the fund runs too hot, are you just trimming a certain amount or do you just let, let it naturally run? Yeah, so there's um, three reasons why we will sell a position. One is that it meets our valuation target. So that's a scenario where that could occur. Um, but that isn't, you know, that's subject to revision, um, depending on new information, as you would expect. It's not a static target, um, so it is revised. Um, another reason we will sell is that the investment thesis breaks down. Um, so the example of um, water rights um, for that Chilean copper producer is an example of that. Um, essentially, what was occurring there was a drought in Chile was expected to break, and it hadn't, um, and we were concerned about the potential for conflict with local communities. Um, so we sold that Chilean copper producer and we bought First Quantum. So um, it meets our valuation target, the investment thesis breaks down, or there are better opportunities elsewhere. Um, so we'll also sell. Um, so we recently sold a company um, named Tektronic. You've probably heard of Tektronic. They own Ryobi Tools, um, a lot of the stuff you buy in Bunnings. But more recently, they came out with a market update where they said that their expectations for growth of their Milwaukee Tools segment had fallen um, from mid-single teens to, to high single digits. Um, and also their interest expense um, is likely to grow considerably going forward, as I mentioned, because of those higher interest rates that we're all feeling today. Um, so we recently sold Tektronic last month um, as a result. So more often than not, we if the, we are having those run-ups, you know, we have picked a winner like Carrier, for example, is up 40% this year. Um, we will um, assess the, the run-up in the share price, assess where it sits relative to our fundamental analysis, we will determine whether it is appropriate to trim, as we have done with Carrier over the course of this year, or whether we will continue to, to let that run up and become a larger proportion um, or a larger size weighting within our portfolio. Yeah. And I guess, you know, good move on on that sell because you know, that's basically saying the consumer is getting tougher. So that, that makes a lot of sense. To finish our conversation with you, we're going to run a bit of a speed round. So these questions are designed to be quick, intuitive, and just off the top of your head. First one for you, do you have any bold predictions either about the market or just in general could be a sporting prediction that's going to play out <laughs> in the near term? <laughs> oh, how good. Okay. Um, sporting, Swans will win the AFL final. Oh, you're a Swannies. Okay. All right. You've heard it first here on Talk Money to Me. What about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Give us a market hot tip. I don't think the RBA will hike rates anymore. That would be nice. I hope you're right. Homeowners are thanking you for that. That's it. Now, if you could be the CEO of a listed business, who would you be and why? <laughs> I was just thinking about the Alan Joyce uh, announcement today. 
Uh, I know he's got Quantus? paid pretty well and he's actually re- <laughs> he's resigned and he's off. Uh, that would be pretty nice. Wouldn't it? <laughs> we'll go to the beach. Um, a listed company, you know, I'll have to say our partners over at Pinnacle um, and, and Ian McCoon, you know, he's, uh, he's built a fantastic business over there by taking stakes in uh, boutique investment managers like Firetrail. Um, I've met Ian a number of times, you know, huge amount of respect of um, what he's been able to achieve with Pinnacle, um, but also um, my colleagues and, and friends in the distribution um, and, and back office teams, middle office teams over there, you know, extremely professional, great to deal with and allow us to focus on investment. So, um, yeah, my, my friends over at Pinnacle and Ian. That's a great answer. Great brownie points yeah. you're going to get there. Great answer. Also, <laughs> the fact that you have unlimited uh, budget for research, that's that's a really good, amazing. I know you've got three children, so this is like kind of asking you the world's worst question, but if you could pick your favourite position or child in the portfolio, which one is it? Uh, well, I, I'm upfront about this with my team. So, um, you know, there's three portfolio managers uh, and four analysts and myself, and I love Carrier. Um, I just think it's a, a great story in terms of um, what's great about upgrading your air conditioner is it's 30% more energy efficient, um, but also uh, if you run an air conditioner on um, renewable energy, there's next to no carbon emissions, um, which is fantastic as well. And what we've seen around the world is that because of higher temperatures, um, there is a, a growing addressable market, including Europe and the UK, but also 95% of homes, new homes have an air conditioning unit installed and they're replacing legacy carbon intense oil and gas-based radiators as well. That's really interesting how such kind of, I guess, a simple concept uh, can be so positive, right? And, and make such a big change. Now, the final question, coffee, tea or tequila? Uh, coffee. I get up early. <laughs> and I, I do um, triathlon, so I get up early for coffee. Those tequila days, they're long gone. <laughs> they're long gone. <laughs> nah, not with three kids. Uh, yeah, if you ask me uh, 10, 15 years ago, might have been tequila, but not anymore. Might have been different. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. That was such a great chat. Thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, have a great rest of the year. Thanks, Anthony. Wow, Felicity, what a great and insightful conversation with Anthony. We hope you enjoyed it as well and took some really great investable ideas or just thematics away from today's conversation. Now, before we sign off, please remember, although Felicity and I are financial advisors at Shoring Partners, as always, our discussion today does not constitute as personal financial advice. If you're interested in anything that was spoken about today, you should always go out and seek your own professional advice before you make your investment decisions. And the day of recording being the 5th of September is where all the facts and data for the companies and the markets were taken from. Yes, because things move quickly. So if you want to learn more about the Firetrail Managed Funds, you can go to firetrail.com and make sure you follow us on at Talk Money To Me podcast for daily market updates. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And remember, if you have any questions or you want to ask us anything, pmtm at equitymates.com. We'll be back next week. Until next time, see you then.
You have been listening to an Equity Mates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs, or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.